This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. We're uh, winding down our series entitled Only Jesus. Uh, we're coming down to the end of this. Um, 30, this is message number 36 in the series. Um, we spent seven weeks on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and so um, getting towards the end of this, if you've got your Bibles handy, turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5. I don't know about you, but I've been encouraged uh, just looking through the fruit of the Spirit and being able to uh, really kind of hold my life up in light of the fruit of the Spirit and see how it uh, measures up. Uh, it shows me areas that I'm deficient, that I need the Lord's help, that I need to be more uh, Spirit-filled, more committed to walking in the Spirit. I'm also able to look at the fruit of the Spirit and see things in my life that uh, God's made a change in my life. I think we should always be able to look back over the last 12 months, and I think towards the end of the year is a good time to do this, and say, is my walk with God stronger than it was at the beginning of the year? Do I find myself closer to Jesus than I was in January this year? And that's my heart for you as a pastor, that we'd always be continually moving forward. <laughs> Growth in the Christian life is never up and to the right. It's never just continual uh, all the way up. You're going to hit some, some skids from time to time. You're going to hit some dips along the way. But the idea is that we're trending upward in our walk with Christ. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. But I, I'm thankful that I look back at my life in light of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I can see changes that God's made in my life even over the last 12 months. And I want to challenge you to continue uh, to be seeking uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis. Uh, that means an emptying of self and a filling with the Spirit. Uh, to walk in the Spirit means that we have to crucify our flesh on a day-to-day basis. I want to encourage you to continue that path that you're on. If you're not on that path, get on it today. Galatians chapter 5, um, we've got probably, I would say, two to three weeks. Um, I was looking at my message for uh, the first, I was doing Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, and I got to look at that, and there's so much meat in the first four verses that I don't know if I can do it all in one uh, uh, message. So uh, I'm going to say conservatively we'll be done with this in three to four weeks. Uh, that's what I'll say. Uh, maybe sooner, maybe later, I don't know. Uh, that just kind of gives you an idea. We're wrapping up uh, chapter number 5 this week, though. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse number 16, just to give us a context. We're going to spend most of our time uh, in verses 24 through 26. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse number 16, this I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other, that you cannot do the things that you would. Uh, again, uh, verse 17 tells us that the, to, to have the works of the flesh excludes the fruit of the Spirit. If we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, we'll exclude the lust of the flesh. They can't uh, coexist, uh, so we have to choose one. Verse number 18, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 
Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Again, if we take a look at the, the fruit of the Spirit just by way of review, if you missed any of these, we're going to cruise through them really quickly. So if you missed these, you can get caught up on our podcast. But we took a, the, take a look at the fruit, uh, the, the virtue of love as part of the fruit of the Spirit. Again, these virtues are collective together to make up the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And sometimes people say, well, this is the, the fruit of love or the fruit of joy or the fruit of uh, kindness or something like that. They're not individual fruits. They make up together collectively the fruit of the Spirit uh, because the Holy Spirit does things in a complete way. But this virtue, uh, being part of the fruit of the Spirit of love, is a lifestyle of placing other people first. It's a choice that I make to put other people above myself. Uh, that's why uh, Jesus showed us perfectly how to love because he, was, he loved with a sacrificial love. True love always puts other people above ourselves. That's why this is uh, one of the first core values of who we call a Baptist church because it is the life of Jesus Christ. It's a life of love. Next, joy. A joy is happiness based on spiritual realities. It's not based on material uh, circumstances. It's not based on uh, my health or my physical well-being or how much money that I have in the bank. Uh, it's based on my spiritual reality. Because I am a child of God, I can have joy. Because my sins are forgiven, I can have joy. Because I know that God is in control, I can have joy. And my happiness is based on spiritual realities. This is why I've had the, the privilege of walk, watching Christians walk through uh, cancer diagnosis with joy. How can they do that knowing that they're staring death in the face because it's not based on their health or their well-being. It's based on the spiritual reality that God has a plan in store. And so joy is one of the things that we seek after as well. Peace. Peace is a comfort knowing that everything is right between us and man, between us and God and between us and our fellow man. This is uh, the absence, uh, really, of, of any type of drama or, or um, schism that you might have. We seek to have peace. When uh, The Bible tells us when someone sinned against us, Matthew chapter 18, we go to that person, we make it right immediately. We don't involve other people. We don't create further uh, fracture amongst the body. We go to that person and we deal with it. God wants us to have peace first and foremost with him. The only way that we can have peace with him is through Jesus Christ. We have made ourselves enemies of God due to our sinful condition. Because we've sinned against the holy God, we have caused the division between us and God. And the only way to make that right is to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I'm telling you here tonight, if, you're, if you've never been a time in your life where you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, friend, you do not have peace with God today. The only way that you can have peace is to recognize that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins to confess your sin, make it right before God and have peace with God. But the Bible also tells us not only do we need to have peace with God, we need to have peace with our fellow man. As much lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. That if there's a strife or a, or a, a problem, we should go to that person and make it right as best as we can. Uh, we've all met people before who are addicted to drama, who are addicted to strife, who there will never be any peace with. And that's why the Bible says, as much lieth in you. On my end, everything's okay. I don't harbor ill feelings towards anybody. Everything's right between me and this person. Everything's right between me and God. Next, long-suffering. Long-suffering is a patient endurance of pain or unhappiness. This means that I can wait it out for an extended period of time. Again, depending on what Bible translation that you use, you might have that word long-suffering substituted with patience. Patience doesn't carry the full weight of long-suffering. Long-suffering means I'm willing to... Uh, endure hardship, endure pain for not only a couple of hours or a couple of days, but it may be a couple of months or a couple of years if necessary. It means I'm willing to allow God the time to do what he needs to do, and I'm willing to endure difficulty during that period of time while God does what he does. 
Next, we see the virtue of gentleness. This is a disposition of being warm-hearted and considerate. Uh, this is my disposition that I have towards other people. The opposite of gentleness would be harshness. And so, again, uh, gentleness is uh, one of those words that maybe sometimes gets a bad rap. You know, uh, it's not one of those terms that maybe guys would endear themselves to being a gentle guy. Uh, but when we look at Jesus Christ, he was a gentle guy, but he could also hold his own. doesn't mean that we're any less masculine because we're gentle. It just means that we have a warm, caring, loving disposition towards others. Next, you see the virtue of goodness. This is people that are actively doing good. I'm going out of my way. I'm not just trying to be a good person. I'm doing good for other people. It's not just my thoughts are right or my disposition's right. It's my actions are right. And I choose to do good. I choose to live righteously in a life of moral excellence. Next, the uh, virtue that we see here in the Bible listed is faith, or we could use the word faithfulness to describe this. This is uh, the ability uh, to continue to be faithful, loyal, trustworthy to what God's called us to do. Thankful for the faithful folks at Huikala. And there's some folks in our church, if they're not here, you know that somebody's in the hospital or some major emergency happened. When I look out, sometimes I see somebody that's missing. I think to myself, I gotta call them as soon as church is over because something's not right somewhere. That's a testimony of faithfulness. I'm thankful uh, just about every single Sunday morning, usually around uh, 7.30 to 8 o'clock, my phone starts lighting up and buzzing and people saying, pastors, we'll let you know we're sick today. We're not gonna be in church. Hey, pastor, we're not gonna make it today because, uh, you know, having problems with the car or got called into work or something like that. I'm thankful for folks who have a testimony of faithfulness. They say, hey, I know that I should be in church and if I'm not, I need to let somebody know so that I can be accountable. Next, we took a look at these two last week. That meekness is strength under control. It's acting in a manner that's gentle, mild, even-tempered. Uh, this is the ability to restrain our strength. Uh, Jesus Christ had the opportunity in his interactions with other people to set people straight every single time, but many times he chose to allow them to uh, say what they wanted to say or do what they wanted to do, and he kept his strength under control that's the idea of meekness is the idea of not always having to be right and not always having to flex your authority in some way. It's the ability to, to give grace and be gracious and kind and understanding towards others. The final virtue that we see here is temperance or self-control. This is the trait of resolutely controlling one's own sinful desires. Uh, the word uh, that's used here, the root word that was used for the word uh, temperance in the Bible it means to seize or to arrest, to grab hold of, not let go of to hang on to and the idea is that I would take my selfish sinful desires and I would arrest them I would lock them up I would hang on to them I wouldn't let them run loose because if we allow our sinful desires to run loose they will ruin our entire life now it's interesting because the context of the book of Galatians is unique Paul wrote the book of Galatians to a, a number of churches in the Galatian region because he wanted to combat some false teaching, and the false teaching was legalism. The idea that Jesus was good, but he was just the beginning. You needed to keep the Old Testament law, rules and regulations to be able to be saved or go to heaven. Hey, it's good that you're a Christian now, but now we need to give you the Jewish law and put you under the burden of keeping all the feasts and festivals and, and rituals that we have. And all the men need to be circumcised. They need to be circumcised in such and so manner now that they are uh, followers of Christ. And Paul wrote and says, nope, Jesus is enough. That's why we entitled this, this series, Only Jesus. It's not Jesus plus laws. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus my good behavior. It's Jesus alone that saves us from our sin. And so in the context of the idea that we don't need laws, rules, and regulations to be saved, verse number uh, 19 in this passage here, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 21, 
speaks of the works of the flesh and says, I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the, the fruit of a person who is unregenerate, who's living in rebellion to God's law. And so going to heaven or being saved, Paul's not saying is just staying away from these sins. He's not saying that. He's saying these are the pictures of a lifestyle of a person that does not know Jesus Christ. So by the same token, he's saying just by being a person of love or joy or peace or long-suffering doesn't necessarily mean that you're uh, saved either. And it says an interesting phrase at the end of verse number 23, against such there is no law. I think what Paul's trying to tell us here is that when we walk in the Spirit, when we allow the fruit of the Spirit uh, to do the work, we don't need the law to tell us what to do. If we walk in the Spirit, we have no need for legalism. You know, if we're truly loving other people with an others-first mentality, if we're truly loving other people the way that Jesus loved, if we treat other people with the type of love that Jesus loved, we don't necessarily need rules and regulations to guide our conduct with that person. Hey, be nice to that person. Hey, speak kindly to that person. No, I'm already doing that because I love that person. If I'm walking with the spirit of joy, nobody has to tell me, hey, keep a smile on your face. Hey, make Jesus look good today. Hey, make sure that the way that you're living is right because the fruit of the spirit allows me to not have to be under the, the burden of laws because I'm walking in the spirit. And here's what the Bible says. If you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't do both at the same time. If you're walking in your flesh and allowing your sinful desires to run and, and have free reign, you're not walking in the spirit. But if you're walking in the spirit, your, your sin has already been put to death. Your flesh has been put to death. Now, easier said than done. Again, not a one-time thing that we do. Okay, I'm walking in the spirit now. That I'm done with that. I get to check that off my list. No, that's a thing that we have to continually go back to multiple times a day and continue to walk in the spirit. You see, rules and regulations don't govern our behavior, but the fruit of the spirit does. When something happens to me that I feel is unfair, I don't immediately have to seek justice. I don't have to immediately seek to make things right. I don't have to necessarily need to, uh, to uh, make an example of somebody. You know why? Because long-suffering means I can give this some time to allow the Lord to work. Meekness means I don't always have to put my authority out there. I don't have to show how strong I am. I don't have to show how, how uh, nobody's gonna walk all over me. I can choose to allow God to do his work because I can be long-suffering. And here's the thing, when I'm mistreated and I'm waiting on God with long-suffering, I'm being meek and submissive to the Lord, allowing him to work these things out, I'm not gonna just go sit here with my arms crossed with a sour face, you know why? Because I have joy. And joy is a happiness that's based on spiritual reality, not what's currently happening to me. And you see how the fruit of the Spirit then begins to create a disposition about us, a response to our trials that overcomes any needs for rules or regulations. The fruit of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit at work in our life has freedom to reign. But here's the thing he says in verse number 25, if we desire to walk in the Spirit, we have to live in the Spirit. <laughs> Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's interesting that he, he breaks down the idea of living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. You know how you walk in the Spirit for the rest of your life? One day at a time. That's how you live in the Spirit. Just keep walking with Jesus every single day, one day at a time. Sometimes people get frustrated in the, the Christian life because they want to grow quicker. 
I, I, I get that. There's no fast track to growth, though. It's a daily process. You can't do in six months what someone else has built over three decades. You can't have the walk with Jesus that somebody has that's been walking with Jesus day in, day out, 24-7 for decades. You can't have that in a period of less than a year. It just takes time. And so the idea is not to get frustrated with the process, but actually embrace the process. Good. I want to walk with Jesus every day so that one day, 10 years from now, I can have a decade under my belt. So one day, 20 years from now, people can look at me and say, hey, look at that guy walking with Jesus for 20 years. I want what he has. and We can make Jesus look good. But this idea of living in the Spirit requires a daily walk. You see, our new life in Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit should have a serious impact on our daily life. I'm thankful every single time someone accepts Jesus Christ as Savior. Man, uh, the Bible says that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance. That Jesus would leave the 99 that he had in his fold to go out and find the one sheep that was lost and bring it to himself. I'm thankful for every single person that gets saved. Man, it lights me up every time. I'm thankful that who he calls a place where people are hearing the gospel. Uh, had a young man this morning, uh, had a coworker that invited him to church, came after the church, he heard the gospel through. And he says, I think I made that decision when I was a kid, but today I'm reaffirming that and has assurance of his salvation. And praise God for that. Had a man on the way out of church today. He said, I got to run. I've got an appointment that I've got to go to. And I said, before you go, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, if you died today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? He says, I'm not. And I said, do you have a church background? And he said, I grew up Catholic. He said, I never really connected with that. I, I see a lot of holes in that. And I said, when you get time, I said, I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. He said, I would love that. You know what happened? A coworker invited him to church and he came this morning. And I'm thankful that every time somebody has the opportunity to hear the gospel here, friends, let's never get over that. That's the mission that we have to go, win, baptize, and teach people the Bible. It's, it's what we do. It's a mission of the church, the Great Commission. But what hurts me sometimes is to see someone who comes, they'll put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, and then they split. You never see them again. You always wonder what happened to that person. They never had the opportunity to grow or get connected and oftentimes it, it grieves me to see Christians who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, but then there's never any fruit that comes from it. There's never any growth that comes from it. There's never any tangible change. And friend, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we don't just live a life of sin, pray a prayer to get us to heaven, and then continue a life of sin. It doesn't work that way. We have to change at some point. And so we need to be, this is not an opportunity to inspect everybody else's fruit. This is an opportunity for me to inspect my own fruit. Do I see change in my life as a result of the gospel? Do I see a, a marked change in my life from the time I started walking with Jesus Christ? I got saved as a nine-year-old boy. I put my faith in Jesus as a, as a kid. I never had any spiritual fruit whatsoever until I was probably in my early 20s. I didn't even know what it meant to walk with Jesus. But in my early 20s, Angel and I got serious about our faith and we began to walk with Jesus day by day and we saw tremendous growth over the last two decades. But I gotta look back and say, again, am I seeing growth in the last 12 months? I need to continue to be pushing forward because the fruit of the Holy Spirit should impact my life on a daily basis. If I see this list and I say, yeah, I'm not really all that long-suffering, that's just not me, then that just goes to show that I haven't yet put my flesh to death yet. 
Yeah, I'm not really a patient, long-suffering kind of guy. I want everything fixed right away. Then that's just an indication that we haven't fully put our flesh to death yet because this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us and it should bring about change. Because we have a new life, we must have a new way of life. Jesus didn't just save you to take you to heaven and leave you in the mess of sin that you're in. Love what the psalmist says. He says, he, he took me and he picked me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock. Oh, he took me from the junk and the crud that I was in before and he put me in a new place. That's why it, it grieves me to see Christians who are so hamstrung by their own sin. They continually go back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. And again, it's not my place to question anyone's salvation, but I know this, when Jesus saves us, he saves us from the power of our sin. And so I'm, I would never in a million years pass judgment on somebody's salvation. I have asked people point blank before, are you 100% sure that you're saved? Because a new life in Christ should create a new life that I live. And again, that's a, a, a walk in the spirit day by day. The term walk that Paul uses here, we sometimes use that, hey, how's your Christian walk going? We, and we sometimes use that to describe, you know, the, the Christian life, you know, prayer, Bible reading, discipleship, uh, you know, community connection, faithfulness to church, giving, sharing our faith. How, that, we would say that's our Christian walk. The word walk that Paul uses here uh, in verse uh, 25, is it? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The word walk there means to keep a single file line. Interesting, isn't it? It's not just like we're walking, like strolling, going our own way, doing our own thing. No, it's the idea of staying in line with what the scriptures have. Jesus has put together a path, and my walk means to stay on that path. It doesn't mean I get to do my own thing. It doesn't mean that I get to have the liberty to call the shots how I want to. It means that Jesus has a path, and I just need to walk it. And if we're going to live in the Spirit, then we have to walk this path that Jesus has given us. Next you see in verse number 24. Neither of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. See, the Spirit-filled life is about other people, not about ourselves. This is where we get hung up so much because we think that the Christian life is about us. It's not what I want. I'll be the first to tell you, I'm guilty of this as well. When Angela and I were first looking for uh, a church to attend when we first got married, I don't like this church, I like that church. I don't like that preacher, I like this preacher. I don't like that music, I like this music. I don't like their parking lot, <laughs> I like their parking lot. I don't like the way that they do this, I don't like the way that they do that. I think the children's program is terrible there. I like the children's program here. And it was all consumer driven. What is, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? And, and again, many times when we share the gospel with people, it's the idea of, well, the, what can we sell them? You're on your way to hell? Would you like to go to heaven? You're under the weight of your sin? Would you like to be out from under that? Put it on Jesus Christ. And, and that's all biblical for sure. But we can't adopt a consumeristic mentality that the Christian life is all about us. Jesus died to make my life easy. That's what spawns heresy from the pit of hell called the prosperity gospel that says it's all about you. Jesus died to make you wealthy. Jesus died to make you happy. Jesus died to make you prosperous. Jesus died so that you won't get the flu again. All that is garbage and rubbish. 
and is, is being used by Satan to pervert the true gospel, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. So we need to understand the gospel is about our sinful condition, but the gospel at the end of the day is about the glory of God. And the Christian life is not about what can God do for me, but it's how can I serve others in the name of Christ to ultimately give glory to God. Again, the end goal is, is, is what we're shooting for here, the glory of God. And this requires what verse 24 says. Take a look at it again. And they that are Christ's, if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you have crucified your flesh with the affections and lusts. That means that we have crucified our flesh, verse 24. <laughs> and, and again, <laughs> I'm not trying to cast doubt on anybody. I'm not that kind of guy. But it says, if you're Christ's, you've crucified your flesh. And for those that don't want to crucify their flesh, they want to continue to live in their sin. They don't want to be dead to their sin. They want to be alive to it. They're not concerned about being alive to Christ. They're not concerned about being alive to righteousness. They just want to continue in their sin and just not go to hell. I have to say, verses like this would cause me to give great doubt to anyone who had just, quote, prayed a prayer and hopes to go to heaven yet continues in their sin because the Bible says they that are Christ's have crucified their flesh. Now again, you might be looking at this and you go, I don't know that I've never ever actually sat down and crucified my flesh. That's not the idea here. The idea is that it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want. It's not about my sin. It's not about any of that. It's all about the glory of God. And that has to be put to death. Interesting that Jesus Christ saves us from our sin. We give him our faith, we give him our repentance, and he gives us eternal life. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He adopts us into the family of God. So really when it comes to salvation, I have nothing to offer for my own salvation other than my brokenness, sin, faith, and repentance. That's all I have to offer. So nothing I did got me saved, for sure. But when it comes to crucifying the flesh, that's all on me, 100%. Crucifying the flesh is not something that's done for us. It's something that's done by us. I have to choose to crucify my flesh. I didn't have to choose to be saved other than putting faith and repentance. There's no work that I have to do to get saved or to stay saved. All that was done on the cross. It's finished once and forever. But this idea of crucifying my flesh, I've got to do that, not just once or twice, but every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. I have to choose to die to myself. That means we have to actively choose to put our flesh to death daily. On my daily prayer list, every single day, every single morning, God help me to die to myself and my own selfish desires today and let me be alive to you. We have to do that every single day again, sometimes multiple times a day. This is an intentional choice that I make because tomorrow you're gonna have a choice to gratify your own flesh or to live for Jesus and you gotta make a choice. And if I've chosen to put my flesh to death and the, the decision's already made. We'll take a look at verse number, actually if we just take a look at the um, fruits of the spirit, verses 22 and 23. Notice these love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Of those, which one of those are necessarily beneficial to us? Not really. A lot of them, maybe aside from maybe peace, 
But we look at this list and how it relates to other people. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the, the main beneficiary of the fruit of the Spirit is other people. I'm thankful that I get joy. I'm thankful that, that I get peace with God. But at the end of the day here, what the, the main people that benefit from me walking in the Spirit is other people. You know why? Because the Christian life's not about me. It's not about what I get from it. I'm thankful that I can have peace with God and peace with my fellow man, but at the end of the day, love and joy, long-suffering, that benefits my wife, it benefits my kids, it benefits our church family, benefits my extended family, benefits everybody that I come into contact with if I'm walking in the Spirit. On the flip side of that, if I'm not walking in the Spirit, you know who pays the price for that? Everybody around me. So again, this is so much bigger they're just about me. So much bigger than just you. This is showing the love of Christ. This is showing the power of the Holy Spirit to every single human being around us. And the stakes are high. If my house becomes a house of anger, unkindness, unforgiveness, then who pays the price for that? Everybody in my family does, but you know who's responsible for that? I am, I'm the head of my house. That's why we have to allow this to permeate every aspect, every fiber of our being to put our flesh to death, to be alive, to the spirit work. It means we have to continue to walk in humility. <laughs> Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. I don't want need a pat on the back. I don't need people to say good things about me. I need God to be glorified through my life. I don't need to be popular. And let me just tell you, somebody that struggles with being liked, struggles with pride, people not liking me, it's a big time bummer for me. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's not about me. I have to realize I want God to be glorified in my life. I want other people to see Christ in me and to do that, I have to walk in humility. It's not about me, it's all about Jesus. I have to remember that my reward is coming and it's likely not gonna be on this earth. Sure, I'll get benefits on this earth, don't get me wrong, but that's not where my primary benefits come from. I'm thankful that on this earth, I will have love and joy and peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. I'm thankful that I have all those. Those are benefits that I get from walking in the Spirit for sure. But my primary benefit comes when I get to see Jesus Christ face to face. He says, well done. Great job. Two thumbs up. That will be my greatest reward. So when I have to, to be disappointed here on this earth, when people say hurtful things about me or hurtful things about my family or hurtful things about our church that sometimes aren't even true, I have to say, hey, I can wait. I have to choose to make this not about me, but all about God's glory. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, there have been many times as a pastor of this church that I've had to bite my tongue when people say things about me, say things about my family, say things about our church. I'll bite my tongue all day long. When people start talking about the glory of God and, and putting down the name of God or blaspheming the name of God, uh-uh, done, not gonna hear that. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's all about God's glory. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the glory of God. Final thought here tonight, and we're done. In this spirit-filled, 
life. There's no room for pride, comparison, or drama because it's all about Jesus. That's it. Verse 26, be not desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Nope, no time for that. You know why? Because we're walking in the Spirit. No time for that. You know why? Because that's all fleshly, sinful behavior. No time for that. You know why? Because that's the works of the flesh. We ain't got time for that. No, no, no. We're different now. We're the children of God now. We don't need rules, regulations to guide us. We don't have to be so hung up on the law the way that people were in the Old Testament. We don't have to be like Pharisees where we're having to look to see, can we do this or can we not do this? No, we're gonna be ruled by love. We're gonna be ruled by righteousness. We're gonna be ruled by doing the right thing. We're gonna be ruled by the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And when I do that, I can't be concerned with what you're doing. I can't be concerned with, well, somebody praised him for that instead of praising me for that. Hey, somebody told him great job instead of me great job, and it was me that did that. I can't be concerned with that. I gotta be concerned about the glory of God. I can't be picking at people and causing fights and, and, and squabbling over small things. You know why? Because we don't have time for that. We, get, we have to push forward for the glory of God. I grew up in a, a church where they had to vote on just about everything. And man, I'm telling you, they had a committee that picked the committees. And I mean, there were subcommittees off of all those committees. We're talking about a church of 150 people, uh, smaller than our church. They had committees upon committees and subcommittees and meetings. And they over, over government, over-governed everything that there was under the sun. It caused a lot of strife and bickering and drama. And somebody wanted the auditorium or the a Sunday school class painted a different color. Then they, they bowed up and they got in an argument about that. Remember, we had people uh, leave the church when I was a kid because of the softball field that we had. Somebody wanted to bring out their tractor and work on the softball field, and somebody else had a different tractor that was better. And somebody got in a fight about it, and family left the church. I thought, my goodness. Just know this. As long as you're a member of who we call about his church, we'll never, ever, as long as this guy's a pastor, I'll tell you that, we're never going to vote on the, the paint color of the auditorium. Just not. You don't like it? I'm sorry. Uh, it doesn't show dirt, uh, and it's easy. That's it. You don't like it? I'm sorry. Um, because it's not about the color of the auditorium. It's about the glory of God. It's about Jesus. Hey, if we're doing something wrong, if we're putting people off, if we're uh, not preaching a, a true gospel, we're not preaching the, the whole counsel of God, man, please tell me that. We need to fix that and get things on track. But hey, look, at the end of the day, if, if somebody uh, doesn't like the bulletins that we have or something like that or thinks we should have a different colored offering envelope, got no time for that. You know why? Because it's about the glory of God. And there's not going to be any drama in this church. If I find out about it, I want to put a stop to it quickly because it's all about unity. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a family before where certain people in the family didn't get along. <laughs> that happens a, a lot. I remember sometimes at family gatherings that we'd go to, uh, this uncle didn't want to sit by that aunt because they had a, a fight last Thanksgiving. So they sat at different ends of the table. This cousin didn't come anymore. They went somewhere else because they got mad last year. Hey, look, we don't function like that as a family. We have problems, we resolve them because unity breeds community and community gives glory to God. And so here Paul says, hey, drama, not gonna happen. Provoking one another, not on my watch. Thinking that you're somebody, making your name out to be somebody, nope, not about that. It's all about humility. We're to be like Jesus who took upon himself the form of a servant and served others. What changes the Holy Spirit made in your life? Can you look at your life this past year and see areas where you've walked in the Spirit 
and you can praise God for? Do you see areas of your life this past year where you've allowed your flesh to get in the way and ruined what the work of the Spirit wanted to do? Is there an area that you see in your life right now that you're not obeying the Spirit in, that you're actively rebelling against God in? If so, fix that tonight. I don't know of any problems that we have in our church. If I did, I would, I would fix it right away. But if there's a problem in this church, are you part of the solution? Should you help resolve it? Is there something that needs to maybe come to pastor's attention or something like that that we need to discuss to, to talk about? I want to help with that. Please let there, let there never be a time in this church where people are like, oh, I'll, I'll be nice, but, but I'm, I'm not going to shake their hand at handshaking time. Please don't allow that to happen, not in this church. I have fought for the last six years for unity in this church. And I'll continue to fight until the day I'm dead for unity in this church. And if there's ever a problem, let's resolve it like spirit-filled Christians. Believe it or not, I love it when somebody calls and says, hey, pastor, such and so happened in the church, and could you give me a hand with this? I want to make it right. Oh, man, that thrills my soul. Maybe just two or three times over the last six years, I've gotten wind of, hey, so-and-so's got a problem with so-and-so, and that's why they're not coming to this event, or that's why they're not uh, coming on Wednesday nights anymore, or something like that. No, 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 never, ever. You know why? Because we're spirit-filled Christians. When we're done wrong, we're long-suffering. We continue to have joy. We continue to show people love, not based on how they treat us, but based on how the Holy Spirit's at work in us. I want to ask your help as we move into the new year. Would you help maintain that sweet spirit in this church here? a spirit of love, a spirit of long-suffering, a spirit of joy. My dad had the opportunity to visit uh, last Sunday, and uh, he's ultra quiet. If you got to meet my dad, he very few words. Sometimes you wonder if he even heard you when you're talking to him. He's hard of hearing anyways, and so you wonder, did he hear what I said? And so we went to, we went to lunch after, after church, and we're sitting there and everything, and I'm, I, I'm waiting, you know, like he's going to tell me, hey, I enjoyed that, that was awesome, or something like that, nothing. Nothing. So we eat, eat lunch. We're done. Walking back out to the car. Mind you, we've gone to church. Church is over. We drove to a restaurant. We had lunch. And now we're going back to the car. My dad said nothing whatsoever about it. And he said, hey, Dad, what would you think about the service? And he goes, oh, I thought it was great. He goes, you know what? I think them some of the friendliest people I've ever met in my entire life. My goodness. And mind you, this is a guy who grew up in the South, where on the home of hospitality, right? You know, and I thought to myself, praise God for that. He saw the joy of the Lord in our people. And, and again, when we send out, you know, questionnaires to first-time guests on Monday mornings, I'll send them an email. Hey, tell us what you thought about your experience at Huicala. 99 times out of 100, what's the first thing you notice at Huicala? The friendly, smiling folks at your church. You know what that is? It's joy. You can't manufacture it. You can't fake it. You know, we don't, we don't send out an email on, on Saturday night saying, make sure you're standing here and smiling really big. Make sure you shake every hand when it walks past. You need to get in at least two handshakes every 30 seconds. We don't do stuff like that. It would be good, though, wouldn't it? Man, I would love to have a spreadsheet, like, ticking that stuff off, you know. See, this person's really engaging. This is good. This is good. Need to work on this person over here. Must be an introvert. We don't do stuff like that. You know, I, you know the funny thing is, um, for a Christmas Eve service, the service is getting ready to start. We're 20 minutes out from the service start. And I walk out in the atrium, and usually there's a gang of people out there uh, ready to greet first-time guests. And I walked out there, and there's no one. 
And this couple walked up from, from Canada, and they said, hey, we're here for church. Is it still on tonight? I go, yeah. They said, well, where do we go? And I was standing at the end of the sidewalk with them, and I said, oh, wow. I'm sorry. I said, let me walk you down there because I was going to tell them, oh, it's the last door on the left. Make your way on down there. It's just like, what the world? And I realized we didn't schedule any greeters for Christmas Eve. And I thought, who's the pastor around here? I want to talk to him, right? <laughs> and so I poked my head in and I, I, I grabbed one of our ladies. And I said, hey, can you put some folks out here in the atrium to welcome folks when they come in? No lie, within 30 seconds, there was 12 people out there. And I thought, yes, I love it. Nobody had to sign them up for it. Nobody had to give them advance notice. They didn't have to show up earlier. We just grabbed folks around to just be nice. And you know what? That was so awesome. And that's how Jesus' church works. Spirit-filled people that are not perfect people, but they love Jesus. They want to walk with Jesus. They want to be better than they were yesterday. Banding together as a family to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Man, that's what it's about. And what's the end goal? The glory of God. If we hit that, man, we hit the target 100% of the time. Know this, I'm not always gonna preach 100% of the time a good message. I don't even know what that, that means, but evidently it means something, right? Uh, there's times I've probably preached a dud, and I apologize for that. But I always open the word, and I always try to give you something that will help you every single time. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's not on me to preach a great message. At the end of the day, it's all of our jobs to give God glory for the day. And if we can do that, man, we've won. And so let's continue to push forward to that into the year 2020. Give God glory in every aspect and make sure that everything's right. Before you leave here tonight in the very last service of 2019, would you make sure that when you leave here, everything 100% is right between you and God? No secret sin in your life that you think's hidden. No strife that you're holding towards another person. No bitterness, no anger. Leaving out here tonight 100% right with God, 100% right with your fellow man and ready for a new year ahead. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.